0: you <laughs> This is EndoLife episode 90. I'm Jessica Duffin, I'm an endo warrior, and endo health coach and this podcast is all about living and thriving with endometriosis. As always this podcast is not intended to replace your current medical treatment and is here for educational purposes only. Today's episode is sponsored by BU. These guys are the makers of the incredible period patches that I love and also a beautiful organic CBD range, menstrual cup and chafing cream and they really are one of the pioneers of natural and really quite revolutionary period care in my opinion. I have seen these period patches change people's experience of their periods so dramatically and their experience of endometriosis so dramatically. And they are really one of the first things that I recommend to my clients. If my clients are going through a flare up or it's taken a while for their symptoms to calm down and for us to implement changes, I still want to provide my clients with something that's going to provide relief, you know, in that current moment. And I always recommend BU period patches because I just believe in them so much and they have helped me so much and they're natural. And it's just when you are so commonly faced with all of these different drugs that can have side effects, um, they have their place, but sometimes you just want a more uh, side effect free option. So... um, I absolutely love these patches. They've been helping me through an interstitial cystitis flare-up that I've been going through recently. You can find out all about that on Instagram. Um, And if you want to try the BU patches for yourself, you can just head to the link in my show notes or go straight to their website, which is buonline.co.uk. So that's B-E-Y-O-U online.co.uk. If you are in the US or in Canada, you can actually also order your BU patches from Cult Beauty and they will ship to the US or to Canada. So that's cultbeauty.co.uk. Let me know how you get on with them. Okay, so before we dive into today's episode, um, (laughs) we are at over 100,000 unique downloads for the podcast, which, um, is huge. I don't, I mean, you know, it's not huge for other people in terms of like, if you're Deliciously Ella level, they get like a million downloads per episode. Um, but we're a small community and, um, yeah, I've just been working so hard on this for so long. And, um, it's so lovely to know that, yeah the podcast has had a hundred thousand downloads um and that hopefully it's making a difference in the lives of all the people who are listening to it and that we are this growing community of people who are asking for better treatment and better care and yeah answers um to this condition so thank you so much for yeah helping the podcast get to the point it is it's weird to be talking about this to right now I haven't even really thought about it but I thought I should let you guys know because it's such a busy time for me at the moment and I was literally in the middle of getting ready I think for a client when my boyfriend was like you know you're over a hundred thousand downloads and I was like brushing my teeth and was like no I didn't and I just carried on um and haven't had time to think about it or absorb it so um yeah processing it in real time right now Um, and just so thankful that you guys have been part of this and um, I really hope that the podcast has served you and will continue to keep serving you and supporting you. So today's episode is um, part three of understanding the endo belly and originally I was going to do an episode that was kind of covering um, some of the common conditions that can come with endo and having like gut health problems. So SIBO, leaky gut, food intolerances, um, things like that, gut and bacterial gut bacterial imbalance. Um, but actually I thought I would just dive in with SIBO because and then do the others separately or in like a, a shorter episode together. Because SIBO is such a tricky subject and also it's so common in the endo community having endometriosis is a risk factor for endometriosis and um, is a risk factor for developing SIBO and um I'm just seeing it in my clients again and again it's such a um I mean I I just had my I just did my test and waited for my results and myself and four of my other clients did their tests um I'm just seeing it more and more so yeah I thought I would And I've done, like, some Instagram posts for you guys, and I want to do more on that um, series of IG posts. But um, as you know, I I haven't had much time to post much on Instagram lately. Um, But, yeah, I thought I would dive into today, into SIBO today, and give you more detail than than is in the IG posts. So today I'm going over what SIBO is, the symptoms of SIBO, and um some of the causes. It's a really big topic, and I want to have a couple of experts come on to chat about it further. And I'm also gonna do a follow-in um episode on the testing and treatment of SIBO because otherwise it's just a lot for one session. One session, one episode. So let's start with what SIBO is. SIBO stands for small intestinal bacterial overgrowth and it's very common, as I said, in people with endometriosis, but it's actually pretty common in general. Um, and it's when normal bacteria and um, another microorganism called archaea build up in the small intestine and it's not supposed to be there. So bacteria and archaea should be in the large intestine. That's normal. And they should be in certain quantities. So when they're in like the wrong, incorrect ratios, um, then that's when you have something like bacterial imbalance. The bacteria is imbalanced, it's not the right ratios. But when it's SIBO, it means that bacteria that should be in the large intestine has moved up somehow into the small intestine or has accumulated there somehow. Not necessarily always moved up, but it hasn't moved down. And this is really relevant because um, if you remember from episode, uh, I think part one and part two of um, the endobelly, In one of them, I talk about the order of the gut and the small intestine is where the absorption of your nutrients happens. So this is really important for your overall health, basically. And with SIBO, what can happen is that it damages the function and structure of the small intestine. And because it's competing with us for our food, it ends up causing nutrient absorption, uh, malabsorption. So we're not getting our nutrients properly. And so that, this bacteria, if you think about what happens when you're making like a sourdough starter, that bacteria creates gas, right? And you see those bubbles. So that's what's happening in your small intestine with SIBO. The bacteria eat our food. They eat the food that comes in and they eat carbohydrates predominantly and then they produce gas and it's, the process is called fermentation, and that gas accumulates in the stomach and often accumulates at a rate that our body can't get rid of it at. So we end up having that big, distented, bloated belly. Now SIBO is um, actually the cause of IBS in up to 60 to 70% of patients, and I think this is so interesting because... So many of us have been diagnosed with IBS with endometriosis or misdiagnosed with IBS with endometriosis. And I think we're often, we get the diagnosis of endo and we're like, okay, now I know what the endo belly is and I know why I've got the IBS, it's because I've got endo, but actually there could be SIBO going on as well as endo, which is very likely because endometriosis is a risk factor for developing SIBO. So if you've been diagnosed with IBS, you know, you've got an up to 70% chance that SIBO is the cause of your IBS. So, um, definitely like, you know, take notes on this and talk to your doctor about it. Um, unfortunately not all doctors are clued up on SIBO, but, um, I'll put some links in my show notes on how to get further, um, support and, you know, treatment. So, Um, Another thing that's worth mentioning is that SIBO is chronic in two thirds of the people who have it um, and is relatively easy to solve in about a third of cases. But chronic doesn't mean you're always going to be suffering. So, you know, I've said this before with endo just because endo is a chronic, um, chronic disease, it doesn't mean that you're always having to suffer with it. You can get to a point where you're having minimal symptoms or no symptoms at all. Um, and living with the disease and with SIBO, it's more like that you have to manage it and maybe from time to time it flares up and you have to do a little bit of treatment and then, um, then, you know, you can get back on with your life. Um, so definitely don't take that chronic diagnosis as this feeling that it's going to be terrible all the time. If you have the endobloat, if you have lots of SIBO symptoms as we go into this, um, it doesn't mean that that's your forever. Um, So there are three types of SIBO, hydrogen type SIBO, methane type SIBO, and hydrogen sulfide type SIBO. And what that means is it just means the type of gas that the bacteria or archaea produce when they eat. So with, for example, with the hydrogen, hydrogen gas has been produced. Now the methane type SIBO is actually no longer kind of under the SIBO umbrella, um, and has now been diagnosed as it's diagnosed, like labeled as its own kind of condition, um, called intestinal meth- meth- methanogen overgrowth or methanogen bloom, um, But because that's a very recent change as of, I think, January 2020, I'm keeping it in here. Um, So the general symptoms of SIBO are, um, well, bloating is your number one sign. Uh, So your number one symptom. And often it will get worse as the day goes on, especially towards the evening and at night. However, some people with really severe SIBO will just wake up and they've still got that bloating. It's still there. And it's that type of bloating that makes you look like six months pregnant. Um, So, this is why it's so tricky because, you know, we have the endo belly and we think it's just endometriosis, but is there more to it? And I think that we should always be questioning that instead of ignoring a symptom and assuming it's something we can't do anything about. I think we should be. considering is there another cause behind it the other symptoms are abdominal pain Um, often the abdominal pain is felt quite um, high up in the abdomen but not always gas diarrhea constipation food intolerances and these food intolerances you can uh, people tend to find they worsen over time and often people say i react to everything like I'm reacting all the time. Another symptom is GERD or acid reflux. Feeling sick or feeling your food is in your stomach. I had um, a client who um, was diagnosed with SIBO and she just felt like she always had food sitting in her stomach for like days. And in fact, as I felt my um, symptoms worsening this year, post the elimination diet that I did, um, I have noticed I'm losing my appetite after certain foods. Um, I suddenly just feel so full um, and I just, for like days, I don't really want to eat that much and I just eat small amounts. Um, the other feelings are like feeling like your food is not digesting, having burping after meals or just generally throughout the day. Um, and you can also get other symptoms that are all over the body and this is related to... The immune response. So, when you have SIBO, you tend to also have leaky gut because the SIBO damages the gut lining. So, I've talked about this briefly before and I will go into it more in um, future episodes. But, you know, you've got the, if you think about a sausage, the skin of a sausage is the skin of your gut lining. And on the other side of that skin, on the outer side, is your immune system. And on the inside is your gut. And so you have food on the inside and the lining of the stomach, the lining of the small intestine is made up of very tightly knitted together cells that don't let anything through except for nutrients. Now, when it becomes damaged, holes start appearing between those cells and things start getting through. Into the other side where the bloodstream is and the immune system is, and the immune system starts reacting. So, um, bacteria will get through, small pieces of food will get through, and the immune system will start reacting to that. So, this is why the worse your leaky gut symptoms get, the worse your food intolerances get because your body starts reacting more and more to the foods that are passing through. And the immune system has a response it you know it sees this these foods coming through or these bacteria that are coming through as um an attack on the body and so it sets up its defenses including inflammation and inflammatory reactions and because the bloodstream is on the other side this immune reaction just kind of stems through the entire body These immune reactions can result in symptoms such as swelling, rashes, headaches, um, nasal congestion or like a lot of mucus all of a sudden, painful joints, swelling of the eyes, an eczema flare up, a rosacea flare up. And on top of that, you could also get uh, fatigue, brain fog, which we're all very familiar with, um, depression, anxiety and weight loss as well now you don't necessarily have to have all of these symptoms to have SIBO at all Um, really like some of the most common symptoms you're looking for are the bloated stomach the diarrhea or constipation um and general kind of IBS issues but um you know in some cases it's mainly like the bloating for example now, um, hydrogen sulfide type SIBO comes with a couple of other symptoms. So it's everything I just mentioned, plus tingling or numbness in the hands and feet, body pain, and that's often muscular body pain, um, bladder issues. So very much like IC, so or you know actual IC, so pain in the bladder, bladder frequency, bladder, bladder urgency. Generally, um, feeling just really unwell all the time um and this is rare but sometimes sulfur smelling gas um worsening food intolerances histamine sensitivity sulfur sensitivity so sulfur, sulfur sulfuric foods would be like eggs um broccoli sprouts cauliflower that kind of thing um salicylate sensitivity and that's a lot harder to identify because um salicylates are in so many things but especially fruit and veg um and going back to the histamine histamines are like alcohol um cheese dairy fermented foods cultured foods chocolate coffee tea um there's others but those are some of the main ones And people with hydrogen sulfide type SIBO can also have worsening symptoms after having a Epsom salt bath because that actually has sulfur in it Um, and after eating sulfur-containing foods. So that's kind of like your main symptoms. But there are some, like, trademark patterns for these different types of SIBO. For hydrogen type SIBO, this tends to cause diarrhea Hydrogen sulfide type SIBO can cause diarrhea, but it's also been known to cause constipation. Methane type SIBO tends to cause constipation. Both hydrogen and methane together cause constipation and diarrhea, or a mix. Um, Methane and hydrogen sulfide can cause either constipation or diarrhea, or both. And a mix of having all three of those gases could cause. Constipation, diarrhea, or both. Now, that pattern isn't like set in stone. Some people can have, uh, for example, some people can have hydrogen type SIBO and have constipation and not diarrhea. It's not set in stone, but that's just a general kind of rule of thumb and general guidance. Just a reminder that this episode is sponsored by BU. Bu You make natural, organic products to help us to manage our periods, sleep well, and achieve a greater sense of well-being. Their product line is expanding all the time with just amazing products that I, I love. I'm so happy that this company exists because they're natural for a start, and they really focus on menstrual well-being, and that's just so important to me. They have a CBD balm, CBD drops, CBD sprays, That can all help you to manage your um, menstrual pain. They have patches which you can use during the beginning of your period and the lead up to your period to soothe pain, and the endometriosis community love them. There's also the sleep pillow mist. So, if you're really trying to improve your sleep or you're trying to reduce levels of anxiety when you're sleeping, the sleep pillow mist is just full of soothing essential oils to help with that. They have a menstrual cup now and a menstrual cup foaming cleanser. Um, So if you can wear menstrual cups, then I totally recommend BU. Their cup is made with um, 100% soft medical grade silicone. There's no PBA, no latex, no dye. As I said, all of their products are natural. The company are really committed to women's rights, menstrual health. And good quality products. And I mean, obviously, I know them personally because they're my sponsors and they're just a lovely company to support. So, if you're interested in having a look at their range, the link is in my show notes. Um, I would love to hear what you think and how you get on with them. Be you. Start soothing period cramps a natural way. This episode is also sponsored by my free Endometriosis Diet Grocery List. This download gives you basically a lowdown of what I eat every week on um, a monthly basis and my personal take on the endometriosis diet. It's not a protocol, set protocol that you have to or should follow but it is here to serve you, give you inspiration and help you see what eating for endometriosis might look like in real life. It's there for you to kind of take inspiration from and help you put your own approach together. To download it, just head to my show notes and follow the link to get your free copy. So when you're looking for SIBO in yourself or as a coach, um, when I'm kind of keeping my eye out for SIBO and I'm considering testing, there are a couple of things to look for. Obviously, clearly we would start the symptoms, um, especially if there's bloating there. But if you have had a blood test or you had some kind of test to look for deficiencies, deficiencies such as low B12, um, iron or ferritin, vitamins A, D, E, K and omega-3 um, can all be a cause of SIBO and also low albumin as well and this is down to malabsorption it's not being able to absorb fat properly or proteins and vitamins so if you get a test and you notice any of these consider what your symptoms are saying and and that might be um you know SIBO might be behind it also um fat in stools is really common so if your fat floats then you've got, you know, um, fat in your stools that can be difficult to dist- to distinguish from having mucus in your stools, which can come with other gut health issues. Um, but really, your stools would be floating if there was fat in them. Um, and then obviously, the leaky gut signs that I mentioned, so having like joint pain, um, swelling, um, headaches, rashes, those can cross over with histamine intolerance. But If you have histamine intolerance, then SIBO could be behind that anyway. Another sign would be um, having the associated conditions that come with SIBO. So just like endometriosis, SIBO comes along with some um, common associated conditions. So some of those are interstitial cystitis, psoriasis, which is like that flaky, um, skin condition where the skin sort of gets scaly and then flakes off, restless leg syndrome, rosacea, and rheumatoid arthritis. So, if you recognise yourself in any of those, and you also have the symptoms of SIBO, then I think it could be worth considering getting a test. Um, or at least, you know, doing a bit more research on it because over time this can cause nutrient absorption problems and you don't want to have extra deficiencies on top of struggling with endometriosis um, and potentially two chronic diseases, having SIBO and endo and then having nutrient absorption issues on top is never going to be fun. Now, um, there are some key causes and it's quite a wide um, list of causes. So I'm going to save some of them for an interview um, with SIBO expert. But for today, I want to talk about some of the like most relevant causes for us. Um, you know, within our demographic, people with endometriosis. So endometriosis is a risk factor for SIBO, and the reason why is because if you think about your small intestine your bacteria, any bacteria that enters should, and any food should be moving through the small intestine and eventually it will get to the large intestine. And we have something called the migrating motor complex. And that is a sort of wave sensation in the small intestine that sweeps through bacteria and food and anything else that might be building up in the in the small intestine, and it sweeps it through to clean it out into the large intestine. Now, it isn't the movement that will cause a bowel movement that's different. This is essentially, um, my tutor, Alison Seabaker, says it's like the washing up of the small intestine. The migrating motor complex washes up the small intestine and, you know, empties it all out into the large intestine. So we want to have this clear passage to allow the migrating motor complex to work. Because if it doesn't, then you get stagnation, you get this buildup of bacteria, right? The bacteria can't move out of the small intestine. So with endometriosis, because we have adhesions, um, we can tend to develop adhesions around the gut. And the adhesions might attach one piece of the gut to another piece of the gut. And that might create an obstruction or a blockage. So maybe it twists the gut in a funny way, maybe it kinks the gut in a funny way, or maybe there's sort of an endometriosis growth that's sort of like pushing into the gut. So either you get a blockage or you trap the bacteria. So either way, there's this buildup of bacteria. The bacteria either gets trapped in like a little loop that's being formed in the small intestine because of the adhesions, or maybe it's been blocked. Um, And so the bacteria will then build up. The other thing is surgery. Having surgery commonly causes adhesions in the abdomen. And again, just like with endometriosis, adhesions that can then also create the same problems of blocking or trapping the bacteria because the adhesions are sticking the small intestine or the large intestine together just messing up with the order of the gut. Now the other things that I think are relevant is um, having low stomach acid or low digestive enzymes. So low stomach acid or low digestive enzymes could cause, there's a bit of debate around it, but could cause um, the bacteria to not be killed off very well. Um, So the stomach acid, one of its roles is to kill off bacteria. Um, And with chronic stress, chronic fatigue or chronic pain, you know, those situations, chronic pain and chronic fatigue will stress the body out. And stress depletes stomach acid and digestive enzymes. So as a result, we then have lower in stomach acid, lower in digestive enzymes, and potentially we have bacterial buildup. And going back to the migrating motor complex, the other thing that can actually turn the migrating motor complex off is chronic stress. So I would assume that most of us with endometriosis have experienced some level of chronic stress for some period of time because of our endo. And so this can literally turn the migrating motor complex off, giving bacteria a chance to accumulate in the small intestine. The other thing that turns the migrating motor complex off and is actually the number one cause of SIBO is food poisoning. So, the migrating motor complex occurs as a result of nerve and muscle movement. And food poisoning damages that process, it damages the nerves and the muscles and slows down the migrating motor complex. And we can actually test for that. We can actually test to find out whether that's occurred, um, which I'll talk about in the next episode that I do on this. So at least when you are, if you're trying to find your root cause of SIBO, which I suggest that you do, um, so it doesn't reoccur, um, or at least you know how to improve your, you know, your success rate. Um, that. You then know that your migrating motor complex has been compromised, and you can put in some practices in place to improve that. Um, the other thing that can slow down the, mi- the migrating motor complex, which I thought I would bring up because I am seeing this well, firstly, hyperthyroidism is very common. And I'm seeing it more with my clients or like the beginnings of hyperthyroidism. So hyperthyroidism can actually slow down the migratory motor complex. So if you suspect you might have thyroid dysfunction or, you know, hyperthyroidism, um, definitely have get that checked out because that could be slowing down your migratory motor complex. So those are really There are so many different risk factors and potential causes of SIBO, but your number one cause is food poisoning. Um, And then adhesions and surgery commonly cause SIBO as well. Obviously, endometriosis related to that. Low stomach acid and digestive enzymes, hyperthyroidism and stress, chronic stress, turning the migrating motor complex off. Now, you tend to need more than one risk factor for, you know, the um, for it to tip over into causing SIBO. But if the migrating motor complex has been turned off significantly enough, you know, that could be enough to do it. But having something like low stomach acid on its own is unlikely to be strong enough to cause a SIBO. However, I think it would be reasonable to say that if you had like significant enough adhesions in your gut to cause like a really bad blockage or um, create like a loop in your small intestine that creates like this pocket where bacteria can build up. I think that would be, you know, enough itself to um, cause SIBO. So those are your main causes. So just to recap. The symptoms of SIBO, your classic symptoms are bloating, that gets worse over the day usually, diarrhea, constipation, nausea, gas, burping, acid reflux or GERD, um, food sitting in the stomach, brain fog, fatigue, malabsorption and nutrient deficiencies, um, systemic like body. Issues, so joint pain, bladder pain, body pain, headaches, histamine, sensitivity, worsening food intolerances um, and sensitivities, generally feeling unwell, sulfur smelling gas, tingling in hands and feet. Um, so there's quite a wide array of symptoms, but you're really looking for those kind of core GI symptoms in the beginning. And of course, you know, be aware of other signs like interstitial cystitis, psoriasis, restless leg syndrome, rosacea, and rheumatoid arthritis, and for those specific nutrient deficiencies, especially like B12 and low ferritin. So that's it for this part of the SIBO episode. I'm so pleased that this is 35 minutes. I've been trying to get my episodes down for ages because um, I know some of you don't love super long episodes or like hour-long episodes. So I'm trying to give more bite-sized episodes. I would love to hear what you think about that. Um feel free to DM me and let me know. Um and so in the next part of this series I'm going to be talking about um how to treat SIBO, some of the complications around that, and how to test for it as well. And this is all, all amazing practice for me because I finished my course in SIBO now and my exam is this Sunday. So um yeah. This is good practice. If you have any questions about Sibo, feel free to get in touch with me. Um, I've been struggling to get back to people um, quickly at the moment, just because it's it's been a really busy period for me. Um, but I will endeavour to get back to you as soon as I can. Um, I hope this episode has been helpful. I would love to hear what you guys um, thought about it. You know, share it on Instagram or get in touch with me or write me a review. Um, just so I know whether these kind of episodes are helpful um, and what else I can do to support you. I hope you have a lovely week and you are staying safe and well and I will speak to you again next week. So that's it. Thank you so much for listening. If you want to find out more about what I do or read more on endometriosis and living well with it, um, you can head to my Instagram page, which is this underscore endolife. Um, you can head to my website which is www.thisendolife.com and you can also get um, a free guide to managing endometriosis naturally on my website Um, I've put the link in my show notes it's a beginner's guide to getting started and all of the areas that I um, have worked on to help reduce my endometriosis symptoms and pain and live well with endometriosis as always, if you like this show, please rate, review and or subscribe. Really, truly does help others to hear the podcast and hopefully will help them to live better with endometriosis. This episode was produced by The Pod Farm. Whether you're an established podcaster or just getting started, visit thepodfarm.com to see how they can help you go from an idea to a finished show that's ready to be heard by the world.